My name is Paul Wilkin. I'm an elder here at Livingstone's Church, and I am not the regular pastor. Uh, Pat is home recovering from surgery, so please keep him in your prayers this week um, as he continues to recover and get better, and hopefully we'll see him back up here next week doing announcements before my last couple of sermons. So I'm in smack dab in the middle of a five-week sermon series about spiritual transformation, and uh, it's uh, been interesting. So, like I said, I'm not a pastor. This is my first, like, sermon series I've ever done, and you'll learn more about this, especially in week five as we get into this about how maybe this came about and what was going on there. Um, so, um, it's just been an interesting journey, and so today I've been extra nervous, so say a little prayer internally for you. And I will say, build my life, what a beautiful song it really uh, hit me this morning just thinking about Jesus and the foundation that he's built for me and uh, just giving me a little more comfort and peace as I'm up here this morning. So well, let's talk about summary for week one. Week one, we talked about Jacob. We know his name means heel grabber, and he struggled with his identity. And that heel grabber basically just means he's a deceiver. He's somebody who likes to lie and deceive people. He wrestled with God. He, he was given a new identity, Israel, which means wrestles with God. So that means God had in his head the entire time Israel, the name of his chosen people. It meant God contended, wrestles with God, triumphant with God. So Israel, his tribe, his kingdom, his people, it's, it's one of those things where wrestling with him and trying to understand him should be part of our journey. This also means, uh, um, as, as we wrestle with God, that it's good news. And how is this good news? It's good news because you don't have to be perfect. You can struggle with your faith. You can struggle with who you are and your identity, and you can just really know that God has intended this to be something that you will continue to do as you grow with him. You are exactly who God wants you to be. He wants you to wrestle and grow. He loves you, and great things are in store for you as you wrestle and grow with him. And then last week, we talked about Judah. Judah is the son of Israel. He wasn't the firstborn. He was the fourthborn. And his life in those days would have been pretty inconsequential. He's the brother of Joseph. He wanted to kill Joseph. He had, he had the idea to sell him into slavery. He wouldn't help his daughter-in-law move on from the death of her husband. And he slept with what he thought was a temple prostitute, and he wanted to kill his daughter when she became pregnant. But what did we find? That transformed him in a way it made him repent of his old ways. He took full responsibility for the safety of his brother Benjamin. He helped save people in Israel by getting them food in Egypt. He's one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And Judaism, that name, that came from him. The kingdom of Judah is also when the, the kingdom of Israel was split in two. That southern kingdom's name was Judah after him. And he was honored to be in the line of David and Jesus. So this is good news because we all sin. 
We all make bad decisions. We all regret things that we do. Judah was essentially a grandfather, so that means it doesn't matter how old you are, you can change by the Spirit of God. So, and I keep saying this over and over again, you don't have to be perfect. Get that out of your head. You're not going to be perfect. There's one that was perfect, and he was perfect for us. We don't have to be perfect. God loves you and has great things in store for you, even if you mess things up. So, I keep mentioning resources, resources, and resources. These are my favorite resources. The Baymont Podcast, hosted by M Marty Solomon. LF Beta is uh, created, and there's, there's a number of uh, rabbis that are on there, but Rabbi David Foreman is really kind of the driving creative force there. And then there's the Bible Project with John Collins and Tim Mackey. I just love, love the two of them and the things that they do and how Bible Project kind of started as this small YouTube video that you could watch and has grown into not just those videos, but podcasts and sermon series and training, live training classes. They've got all sorts of things you can tap into. And of course, our Living Stones uh, website. You can go and listen to the podcast. You can go and listen to past sermons from years and years ago, and I think I mentioned this in week one, two of my favorite sermons, Ancient Inc. and Bill Nye Reads Genesis, those are amazing sermon series, and I recommend that you go back and listen to those. But today, I'm going to focus on the story of Abram and his covenant relationship that is in place with God. God creates this very special covenant with him. And I draw very, very heavily on the stories from Tim Mackey of the Bible Project. And this is actually kind of a retelling of a sermon that he did outside of the Bible Project. If you do a search for Tim Mackey, you'll find all kinds of sermons, not just Bible Project stuff that's out there. And not only is it interesting, but life-changing at times. And so, as we look at this and we start to talk about some of these things, what, what does it mean to become uh, a partner? How do you ha go into partnership with God? What does that look like for us? What does that look like for God? Well, we get to see how that happens in the story of Abram and his covenant. Now, his name later gets changed to be Abraham, and everybody kind of knows him by Abraham. Same thing with his wife, Sarai. She's Sarah. And unlike Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel, you keep hearing Jacob's name come back even after he's renamed that. And I think that's a very interesting thing that should be studied and looked into more. Why does Abraham become Abraham? And he's just always then afterwards Abraham. But know this, I'm going to probably mess up at some point. This is all when he is still Abram, the story. So Abram goes into this partnership with God but what is a partnership with God? They talk about a covenant. And it's just one of those churchy words. What does covenant mean? What is it all about? I don't exactly get it myself. So I looked back and listened to some things that uh, our old pastor Sam would talk about when it came to covenants. And he would talk about 
certain things and compare them. And so I just wanted to do a little bit of a recap of something that he had taught to us before. And so when you're looking at a covenant, the first thing I did was a Google search. I Google searched to see what a covenant was, and it says it's a binding promise of far-reaching importance in this relationship between individual groups and nations. It has social, legal, religious, and other aspects. This discussion is concerned primarily with the term in special religious sense and especially with the role in Judaism and Christianity. And so that was always the interesting thing is like I read that, I still don't really get what a covenant is and what that means exactly. Um, so Pastor Sam, he would, he would kind of take a covenant and compare it to a contract. So is a covenant like a contract? Because um, they sound, for, you know, kind of similar. So if I do a Google search, and I actually did a search, <laughs> what does, is a uh, covenant like a contract? And what it says is, while a contract is legal, legally binding, a covenant is a spiritual agreement. A contract is an agreement between parties, while a covenant is a pledge. A covenant is an agreement you can break, while a covenant is a perpetual promise. A contract is a mutual, beneficial relationship, while a covenant is something you fulfill. And when I read that, it sounds fantastic, I still don't know exactly if I get all of the slight nuances and changes between it. Sounds like a lot of uh, attorney kind of talk around it. So Pastor Sam would often say, think about the marriage covenant. That really is kind of the, the example today of a covenant where you're pledging yourself to your spouse and, that pledge, uh, and they pledge themselves to you. It's a beautiful Pledge. I kind of have an agreement down my, I, I don't like that word. It's not an agreement. It's, it's basically you would do anything for that person and that person would do anything for you to make that relationship work. It's, it's, it's so much more than a contract. And so if you put it, if you flip that around, what is a prenuptial agreement? A prenup is basically saying, I don't trust you. I don't think you're going to hold up your end of the bargain. So I'm going to put some things in place so if you do this, I have repercussions. I have actions that I can take. There's less trust involved in that. So that is kind of what I would say is, in general, maybe the difference between a contract and a covenant. But I still don't know if I quite understand all the pieces and parts of it. So I keep talking about all of these resources that we have the Bible Project has done a great, great video on what a covenant is. And so I'm going to cross my fingers and hope the video works with sound, but let's watch this video. If you've been around Christians, you've probably heard of the idea of having a personal relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend or your father or maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much. And that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right. And this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. 
And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. It's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many, and he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. So let's see how these work. The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption, and Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah, saying, listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil, but despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great. So what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant is that God is promising to be faithful even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him, promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. The next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this covenant is with the whole tribe. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who then represent him to the rest of humanity. That's the covenant with Israel. The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel in obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. So those are the four covenants that God makes in order to restore his partnership with the whole world. But here's what happens. Israel breaks the covenant. They worship other gods, they allow horrible injustice, and so they lose their land and are forced off into exile. So it seems hopeless. But during this time, Israel's prophets talked about a day when God would restore these covenants in spite of Israel's failure, somehow. Yeah, they called it the new covenant. And this is actually what's so interesting about Jesus is that he's introduced into this story as the one who fulfills all of these covenant relationships. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham, and so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. We're told that he's the faithful Israelite who is able to truly obey the law. And we're told that he's the king from the line of David. And so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And that's really remarkable for one guy. Yeah, and what it highlights is perhaps the most surprising claim of all made about this man, that Jesus is no mere human, 
but rather God become human. And God did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we are all made to be, but have failed to be. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him. So Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of this new covenant family. And despite their failures, Jesus is committed to making them into partners who are becoming more and more faithful. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a fully renewed world, full of goodness and peace. And there's this renewed humanity there, partnering together with God to expand the goodness of his creation. And so the end of the Bible story is really a new beginning. So I think that does a really good job of kind of explaining covenant and what it means in the Bible, but I still get a little foggy on some of the details around what covenant means and so and how they actually worked. So but today we're going to focus on the covenant with Abram. And we're going to start with looking at why God decides to create this covenant with Abram. What's the big deal about Abram? Why would God pick him over all of those others? So let's start with the story of Abraham in Genesis 11, 1 through 9. <clears throat> this is not about Abraham. This is the story that's right before him. So it's interesting, though, because it ties very closely into why chooses someone like Abram. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plan in Shinar and settled there. <clears throat> uh, they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. They then said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. Remember that. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if, one, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them uh, from, their, uh, from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it's called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So you can see there kind of a strange story about building a city and some things. But kind of the key part of that is, is they're trying to build a name. They're trying to build themselves up. They want to put themselves where they can build and, and grow this tower up to the heavens so that they can put themselves on the same level as God because that's where they think God is at. He's up in the sky. We're going to go all the way up there. But one, they're not ready to do that. But two, it's interesting that you find out their technology of their day is the brick. So they're taking this new technology and they're trying to build a name for themselves. And so I'll just leave this as kind of a side note. 
so, social media is this amazing technology where it feels like everybody's trying to make a name for themselves and it seems to be tearing us apart. That's a side note. Let me go back now as we see in this story that they're trying to make a name for themselves. Now we get to see a little bit of a glimpse of why God chooses Abram as his partner. So let's go to Genesis 11, 27 through 32. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, she was the daughter of Haran and the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out for Ur of Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there, Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. So in this little story here, the big takeaway, again, is now Sarah was childless because she was not able to conceive. And as we've talked about in the previous couple of weeks, being able to conceive and have families and extend your name and be greater, you know, have a legacy, have all of these things was so very important to those people. And so in here, it doesn't really say when you find out Sarah is barren. She can't have children. But if you look at some of the midrash, is what it's called, ancient Hebrew commentary, kind of like your study Bible, but made for ancient Hebrew study, they talk about this connection with Sarai and that Abram knows that Sarai can't have children. So why, especially with him being the older, Abram is older than his brother Nahor. He should be able to pick or choose whoever he wants to be connected to or married to. Why does he pick the woman who can't have children? And that's the end of his line. But that's what God is looking for. God is looking for people who aren't concerned about their own names and about themselves. They're connected to the people that they need to protect and love. And so Abram does this very self-sacrificial thing, and it really catches the eye of God. He's very impressed with him. God wants to partner with him because he's humble. He's not concerned about his name. So now we kind of get a little bit of a glimpse. Oh, and I also wanted to mention his, uh, his nephew Lot. So his brother dies, and he takes on his nephew Lot to go with him. And so he's taking care of him as well. That's another thing in terms of self-sacrifice. We will take him on. He will be a part of our family. So anyways, this gives you a little bit of insight in, as into why God chooses Abram to make a covenant with. He is self-sacrificial. So that's why he makes a covenant. Now let's talk a little bit about this covenant. And like I mentioned, Tim Mackey does this amazing sermon on this. Um, 
And also, I take a little bit of some things that Marty Solomon pulled from his rabbi, Ray Vanderlaan, who, who taught him certain things about this particular covenant. It's a covenant that makes no sense. It's kind of gory. It's kind of weird. It's strange. And it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's also mentioned in Jeremiah 34, and it talks a little bit more in detail about people doing this covenant. Marty explains it as kind of a marital covenant, but when you look at it in, in Jeremiah 34, it doesn't feel like it's meant for this marital type of uh, area. But what I would say is it's still a covenant nonetheless. And so, um, so as we look at this, know that this is a covenant that... Uh, was probably very commonplace back in these times. So Abram, in being in this covenant with God, and God a couple of times has promised him that he's going to have children. How can that be possible if his wife Sarai just can't have children? He knows that. They're not going to have children. It's not going to happen. So he keeps asking God, God, when am I going to have children? Maybe he thinks I can use my, my nephew Lot as kind of a way to keep the family line going, and maybe it'll actually be him. Um, maybe you will find out later he uses his servant, his wife's servant, to, to have a child, and that's not what God has in mind for him. So he's pretty ticked off at God about... Why do you keep saying I'm going to have all these children? It's not going to happen. It's, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here, but you said this is going to happen, and I don't know how it's supposed to happen. I don't see it. And you would think the same thing. So God tells Abram to do something very strange. He tells him to go get some stuff. So let's look at uh, Genesis 15:9. It says, So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. So in this conversation where, God, where Abram is mad at God, God does this thing and says, go get me these things. And that's a weird thing to happen right in the middle of a conversation, don't you think? Hey, I'm really mad at you. How is this going to happen? And he says, go get me a bunch of animals. We read this today and we don't think anything about it because we've read this Bible passage probably a hundred times, but it's strange. It's weird. It's like, why is this? Why would this happen? So <clears throat> as we look at this, Abraham doesn't even question, doesn't ask anything about this. And I think it's because he knows what is being asked of him. So let's look at verse 10. Abram bought all of these to him, cut them in two and arranged them in halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. He just took these animals and sawed them in half. And he's not asked for instructions. There was no, there was no God, what do you want me to do with this stuff? Like he knows what's going on here. And it's just, just this gruesome sounding thing that is going on that we don't quite understand. It's like, what is this thing? And so, as you can see, this is why they call this like a blood path covenant. So, let's put the picture up of what a blood path covenant looks like. You can see the animals are here. The blood kind of goes down into this path. They, they may even 
walk a path and make sure, you know, that that's where the blood's going to go. And what happens is, is uh, Marty explains this, like I said, as part of a marital covenant. And the bride's father, who is the greater person in this uh, covenant that they're creating with each other, he's the greater one. He gets to set some of this stuff up, but then the lesser, the groom, his father ends up walking through this blood path and getting the blood on their sandals and on their clothes and stuff. And then the greater kind of comes in and does it secondarily, does it after the lesser party. So there's kind of the two parties. There's the lesser and the greater. And so the lesser goes through, and basically what he's saying, if I don't hold up my end of this covenant, you can walk in my blood. This is how serious I am about this covenant relationship. And it's not that legally, oh, you get to do this. It's that I want you to do this to me if I don't hold up my end of the bargain. And the same on the other side. The greater party then goes through and says, I do the same. So the greater kind of has this similar relationship into this, and and so they both kind of go through here. So it sounds gross. It looks gross. It's just a very strange thing that's going on that we don't quite comprehend. So let's go to Genesis 15.9 and continue to hear. I'm sorry. I got to flip the page. Let's not go to 15.9. Let's go to 15.11. Abraham is down there. He's waiting. And it says, the birds of prey came down on the carcass, but Abram drove them away. So now, after he's done all of this, Abraham is just waiting around. He's waiting around long enough that there are these birds, the vultures and other birds are coming down and they're trying to feed on these dead animals and he's having to shoo them away. It's not like he's there for a short period of time. He's there long enough that these birds are coming down and trying to eat these carcasses. And it's very, very strange. It's like, why is God not talking to him? Why isn't this happening? What's going on? So, let's go to verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. So God gave him a sleeping pill or something. He just knocks him out. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried in a good old age, at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So, okay, God is telling Abraham. First, he knocks him out. Then he tells him, like, maybe in a dreamlike state, who knows exactly what's going on here. These are the things that I have in store for your family. This is the stuff that I want you to do. So know that this is going to happen. This is going to happen. I've told you exactly, you know, basically the story of Exodus here. So here, God promises him that these things that you are going to have descendants, you're going to have a promised land, you're going to be able to be all in this together. 
but what is going on? Why, why isn't somebody going through with this covenant? You've got the animals there, the blood passes there, but nothing is really happening. They're just standing there waiting around, and God gives them this message. And so let's go on to verse 17. When the sun had set, the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the, to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of all of these countries here. <laughs> I won't butcher their names. But so God says, I'm going to give you this land. So we see that this fire and smoke, this pillar of fire and smoke, what does that remind you of? Think of any Old Testament stories where you see smoke and fire? In Exodus, right? During the day, they follow the smoke, and at night, they follow the fire. And so this kind of ties together these kind of stories. But what this is is God is often conveyed as fire or smoke. We don't understand. We can't look at God directly. There's all of these things. And so he gives us this kind of tangible way of seeing. And what happens is God passes through these animals cut in half as fire and as smoke. It's almost like God is saying, I'm the lesser party and I'm the greater party. I know you're going to fail, and I'm going to be the one who says, even if you fail, I'm the one who can be cut in half, and you can walk in my blood. God comes through and makes this covenant, and it's just, as you, as you go through it and you, and you kind of start putting these pieces of the puzzle together, it starts to make sense. It starts to make sense of what God is doing in this covenant with Abram. But what does a covenant with Abram mean to me? What does it mean to you? Let's go to Luke 22, 14 through 20. So when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and he said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink of it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took this bread and he breaks it. He breaks it in half. And he says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after he passes it on both sides, He says, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. So he splits his body in half, 
and this blood is here, which is poured out for you. Can you put the picture back up? This is what Jesus has done for us. This is the new covenant of his blood. This is him coming to us. This isn't just for Abraham. This is for all of us to participate in and to be a part of. God took his flesh and he fulfilled this promise to Abram. And he's made this new covenant and he's also fulfilling a new covenant with us. He wants the best for us. He wants us to do exactly what we've been designed to do, and that's to be in partnership with him. When you go back and you look at the next story that's about Abram after this, it's not a great story. You would think after this, I'm not gonna say beautiful covenant because this is a gruesome covenant, after this beautiful act that God just set, stepped down and is saying, I will take the punishment no matter what, even if you fail, what does he do? Look at Genesis 16, and you will see that Abraham and Sarai decide that they're going to help God with his promise. We can make our own line of kids. I'll just use Sarai's servant. And so they're trying to help God create this, or fulfill this promise, and that's not what he asked them to do. You need to wait on God's timing. We do this all the time. We all the time get things from God, and we feel like you've given me this, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to make sure I get it done, and I'm going to do it, and I'm not going to wait on you for you to make these opportunities come up. But we see that the whole relationship with Hagar, the servant, and her son, Ishmael, it's just a terrible story where they end up getting kicked out and they're not felt welcome and all of these things happen and sexual abuse and all of these things that are going on. It's just, it's a terrible, terrible story. Don't make the same mistakes. That's all I can say is, as we see this, God created us to make us to be in partnership with him. He actually, if, if you go back and look at Genesis 1, 27 through 31, paraphrasing here, it says, God created mankind and made them to partner with him. That's why we're here, to be in partnership with him. God, if you look more, you see that in that Genesis account, when God made things, they were good, but when he made mankind, they were very good. He made us to partner with him, to, to work on this world and be together and be united. An old pastor of mine used to say, God is crazy in love with you, and God is crazy in love with you. That's why he wants to partner with you. That's why he wants to be here with us helping us through all of this. So why is this good news? It's because Abram, even though he's married the barren Sarai, he isn't concerned about his name. Then all of a sudden, God says, you're gonna have all of these kids. Then he becomes a little concerned about his name and his legacy and all of these things. But God partners with him. He makes this covenant and he promises him all of these offspring. 
And we know now that it happened. He's in the line of David and Jesus. His sacrificial ways, he was just, he did things and he deserved to have this chance to have a covenant with him. And God picked him and he does what all humans do. They make mistakes. So it's good news. Why is this good news? Because God wants to work with us. Other gods at that time were described as you had to appease the gods. The gods don't like us. We got to make sure that they know that we will appease them. We will give them what they want. Our God wants to partner with us. He wants to be connected with us. It's completely different. God wants to partner with us. He's not looking for people who are interested in building their own names. God is willing to take the lesser role There's consequences that we deserve, but he still took the lesser role. God's plans from the beginning was to take on these consequences. Go back and study the the covenant with Noah. It's the same thing. God points the bow in the sky up at himself. So I wish I could tell you there was an exact time when... I could say God came down to partner with me and I could give you this great story. There's no story to be had. Maybe it was when I was baptized. Maybe, maybe it was a dream that I had where God was giving me some things to do, which happens frequently. What I can tell you is, is I think this covenant that he made with me started back with Jesus. When Jesus broke that bread... And he passed it to his disciples. He was making a covenant with me at that time. And all I have to do is now accept it and become a part of it. And that's what we need to do as well. So I'm going to ask the band to come back down. And we're going to talk about communion. Here at LSC, we have an open communion. That means everyone is welcome to join, and you don't have to feel weird if you don't want to join. There is no pressure. We do this weekly so we can remember the sacrifice made on the cross for us, but also to remember the promise God made to Abraham and the new covenant for us. And I just want to read these these lines again, and if you can put the picture back up. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and he said, take this and divide it among among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from this fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God has come. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. 
Let's stand and pray for our communion.